Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Last time we looked at love, today we look at joy, tonight we'll look at peace. How do these evidences of the Spirit come to bear in our lives, and do they give evidence in our lives? I'm a history minor from college, and so uh, oftentimes when I'm in a bookstore, I'll kind of pass by the history section to see uh, what might be new there. I, I found an interesting book that I could not resist. It's called The Pessimist Guide to History. A compendium of barbarities, calamities, catastrophes. It's a view of history just from everything that's gone wrong. I know some people that live that way. I've got relatives that live that way. You got any relatives that, you know, everything, you know, they... You, you call them, you talk to them on the phone, everything's gone wrong. Here's who's dead, you know. Okay, who died this week? Okay, we've got to go through it. And I, I get read the obituary column, you know. Okay, this is who died and this is who died. Was anything good happen? No, not that I can think of. Not that I can think of. Everything's pretty well depressing and sad and sorry and pitiful. And, boy, I'm blessed by being a part of this, I can tell you. you know, just pessimistic view of life. It's a lot of that in America. A lot of that in our culture. We're one of the leaders in the world in suicide and in depression and in medication for depression. A lot of people are depressed not because they have something chemically wrong with them, but they're depressed because they just have let their circumstances get a hold of them. How do we face life? What is joy and how do we get it? If the fruit of the Spirit is joy, then if I'm a Christian, joy is supposed to be a characteristic of my life. Now, I can remember some things, and there are some moments in my life that I remember as moments of great joy. The moment when I asked the Lord Jesus to be the Lord of my life, not just the Savior, but the Lord of my life, and to take control, and I released control to Him, and said, Lord, I I can't do this anymore. I can't run this anymore. I've tried, and I'm tired of trying, and I want to release control to you. The, The total release that came over me at that moment was a moment of joy. That night, sitting in the driveway at her parents' home when Terry said she had married me was a great moment of joy. We tried for six years to have kids, didn't have them, couldn't have them. We went to all the doctors, and I remember us driving home from church one day and and Terry saying that she was pregnant after we had tried for six years. And then being in the room and seeing both of my daughters born, was they were moments of great joy for me. I'll never forget those moments. I remember standing in First Baptist Church, Jackson, Mississippi, one day as a, as a college student and standing around and talking and Billy Graham and Cliff Barrows and George Beverly Shea all came out of a side room at one time. And Don Witzel and I got to meet them in just a moment. That was a moment of joy for a young preacher. I tell you, I thought I could have died and gone to heaven the minute I touched the hand of Billy Graham. I thought, that's all I need in life. I'm a complete minister now. (laughs) My relationship with Vance Havner brought me great joy. 
My relationship with Layman Strauss brought me great joy. My relationship with men like Ron Dunn brings me great joy. There are moments and individuals and situations and circumstances that bring joy to my life. But you know, those circumstances can change. People can die. You move off. Time has a way of changing things. And if my joy is totally tied to my circumstances, then I'm in trouble. Because my circumstances will change. And if my joy is tied to anything other than Jesus Christ, it ceases to be joy because it's joy in something that can be taken away. Some event, some person, some circumstance, some, something going on in my life that can be pulled away from me or taken away from me or a setback or something happening in my health, if my joy is in anything other than the Lord, I can lose it. The Bible is full of examples of joy. I want you to just kind of walk down this list with me very quickly. And first of all, he talks about the Hebrews 12, Christ, for the joy set before him endured the cross. That tells me that God's joy is better than any circumstance that you walk through. It overarches anything that you'll ever have to face in your life. The Apostle John was filled with joy because his children walked in truth. That tells me that there's joy when there's obedience. John the Baptist was filled with joy upon meeting Jesus. Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. When you need strength, when you're down and you're discouraged and you need to be lifted up, it is the joy of the Lord that gives you the strength to go on. Isaiah wrote of eternal joy, not circumstantial joy. The angels are filled with joy when one sinner repents. David said, you can lose the joy of your salvation when you have sin in your life. Jeremiah said the word of God brought joy to his heart. Psalm 16 says in God's presence is fullness of joy. Psalm 28 tells us that God's protection is the source of joy. God's joy is a gift to good men in Proverbs 10.28. We can be filled with joy regardless of our circumstances according to James 1. And our worship is to be joyful, Psalm 95. Boy, I tell you, the Word's got a lot to say about joy. And sometimes by looking at God's people, you wonder if they've read it. Choir, you ever wonder sometimes? Just no, Not a lot of loud amens, just a few. I mean, just, you know, the joy of God. Now, there's three or four Hebrew words that are used, and two or three in the Greek. I just want to go through them very quickly and give you the different nuances and, and, and phrases and how they're used and what they mean when these particular words are used. The first one is found in 1 Samuel 18.6. We won't look at it, but it is a story of David coming back from his defeat of Goliath and the women rejoicing and welcoming him with glad and joyful songs. The word there means bright and shining. It's a word of countenance, bright and shining. It means a glad and joyful disposition. Now, I don't want any testimonies, but did any of you get up this morning and somebody that you got up with didn't have a glad and joyful disposition? This morning, leave me alone. I don't want to talk about it. The word joy means a glad and joyful disposition. The second word means to leap or to jump. So we know it wasn't written about Baptists. It means to leap or to jump. The best use of this or illustration of this word is found in Acts chapter 3 where the lame man leapt for joy when Peter and John said, In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. 
Now let me ask you something. If you'd been lame and you'd been sitting by a gate and somebody came up and said, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk, and you got up and walked, you wouldn't just go, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that now. I'll just be moving on my way. No, you would leap for joy. The third word that is used is used in Psalm 126 in verse 6, and it means an exuberant expression, particularly in reference to God's saving work. An exuberant expression, particularly in reference to God's saving work in our life, what God has done for us. The Scripture tells us we are to sing for joy, ascribe joy, proclaim joy, declare joy, bring an offering with joy, worship with joy, and tremble with joy. An exuberant expression. In fact, it means shouting about God's work. Well, I met a guy who took this to the extreme a few weeks ago. I was at the Cove for a Bible conference, and uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks was speaking, and and uh, I mean, every word almost that came out of Hendricks' mouth, this guy's going, truly, truly, amen, speak it, speak it, truly. And Dr. Hendricks would say, turn in the Bible, truly. We want to go over here and look at this verse, truly, truly, amen, speak it. And, you know, and you just want to kind of go over to God and say, if you'd shut up, we could hear the speaker. You know, I mean, because he was loud, and sitting on the second row, and you could see people during the week. As, as he, the louder he got and the more he said it, people began to just kind of move, you know, over a few more seconds. So nobody would think it was them. And, you know, you just started thinking people were going to get signs and go, it's him, don't look at me. <laughs> and his wife was sitting there going, <laughs> and, and every, if we would stand up to sing, the minute we would stand up, he wouldn't even know what song it was. He'd throw his hands up in the air. And which I don't mind people raising their hands. I think there's appropriate times to raise your hands to the Lord and praise God for what he's doing. But I knew this guy had gone over the edge when we were, it was the week, you know, getting ready for the 4th of July, and, he's, and the guy leading the singing said, let's stand up and sing America the Beautiful. And he went... And I thought, this guy is taking his exuberant expression to an extreme. But there is an exuberance that I would love to see in some people sometime, to be quite honest with you. I mean, I'd just like to know that some folks are awake. <laughs> you know, even, even past the announcements. Just, just some kind of exuberant expression. The fourth word, it's not listed there, but the fourth word means to move around in circles. G-I-L would be a transliteration of that word. It's used in Psalm, 130, Psalm 13 in verse 5, and it means to move in circles. Joy is a moving around. Joy can't sit still. Now, the Greek words, there, there are some word groups, but primarily the word that is used for joy has the same root as the word that is used for grace. Charis is the word for grace. Kari is the word for joy. Now, one of the words is, means a public expression of joy in worship. Another one of the words means that it is a corporate joy. There's one word used in the New Testament that talks about the corporate joy of gathering together with God's people in God's house. There's the joy of the Lord. You know, and I know this, and I respect this, and so I don't need any letters about this, okay? I know that people sometimes want to come in church, and they want it to be quiet. And they don't want anybody talking, and they don't want any noise. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. The joy of the Lord, it's a family time. It's a worship time. It's a fellowship time. And, you know, I go, I'm quiet when I go to funerals. I don't want worship to be a funeral. I don't want to be a part of a church that has a funeral for a worship service. I've been a part of some of them. I don't ever want to do that again. 
there is an expression. I haven't seen you all week. It's good to see you. Man, I had, how are you doing? How's your job going? It is the joy of the corporate gathering of God's people into worship and expressing that joy to one another. But the main word is the word that has its root in grace. And here's why that's important. If you have experienced the grace of God, then you will exhibit the joy of God. If you've experienced the grace of God, then you will exhibit the joy of God. I'm convinced that the reason some people in churches don't have any joy because they've never experienced grace. They've never realized that for them to have Christ means that they have passed from death unto life, from hell to heaven, forgiveness of sin, no longer guilty, declared not guilty, pardoned by God, reckoned righteous, all the things that God has done for us, and they say, well, I just can't have any joy. Man, if you can't get excited about that, nothing's going to get you excited. Not even Georgia maybe having a winning season won't get you excited. Nothing can get you excited. If that won't get you excited, that God in His grace has done something for you that is unexplainable. Grace leads to joy. The grace inside of us leads to an expression of joy outside of us. Read the book of Acts. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for His name. They gathered together in Acts chapter 2, and they gathered in one accord with joy. Philip, after leading someone to faith in Christ, went on his way rejoicing in Acts chapter 8. You see, the church is supposed to be a place of joy in a world of sorrow. And I'm convinced one of the reasons why the church doesn't make an impact in America any more than it does, although people say they're religious, and although more people go to church and do anything else, I'm convinced that the reason we're not changing the world is because the world doesn't see any joy in us. Some of you ought to watch our rebroadcast sometimes when the camera gets a shot of you and see your faces. You'd either move and not sit in camera range or you'd brighten up a little bit. I've had people say, oh, I like singing choruses. And then we're singing a hymn, and the camera gets a shot of them, and they're like this. But we're doing what you wanted to do. I don't care, I ain't singing. I ain't going to sing, I ain't going to do it, not going to do it, not going to sing. No joy. I mean, why do you want to be alive if you don't want to have any joy? Just go to be with Jesus. Make him miserable, you know? Why would you want to live and breathe and walk this earth and not have joy when you worship God? Why do you want to, why do you want to be there? I don't understand. You know, you know, what a fellowship, what a joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, what blessed peace. Oh, what joy is mine. And the world says, you want me to get up for that? and get dressed on my only day off and go sit through that? I'm not interested. The reason we don't reach the world is because we've done the thing that... Listen, we have done the things the enemies of Christ could never do. We've made him boring. Jesus Christ is never boring and we have made in the church in America today Jesus Christ boring. And the world looks and says, man, you know, I'm willing to buy happiness. I'm willing to borrow to be happy. I'm willing to go in debt to be happy. But if i got to go to church and be miserable, I'm not interested in going. 
Man, if nobody's going to talk to me when I come there, if people are going to snub me if they don't like me, if I get somebody's seat and they're going to treat me ugly, if they're going to just sing old boring stuff that I don't know and I don't understand, if nobody's going to offer to help me, if nobody's going to explain anything to me, why do I want to go? And that's a good question. Why would they want to go? But I tell you, when lost people find a church where there's joy, they'll at least come check it out. Because they'll say, you know, that, that's different. You know, I've talked to a lot of people in 25 years of ministry who were raised in the church and have left it and have no intention of going back. And not one of them, not one of them has ever said, I miss the joy that I felt when I was in church. Joy is not a word that comes to mind. You know what comes to mind with them? Legalism. A bunch of do's and don'ts. Bunch of stiff people going in stiff places, sitting on hard pews, no smiles. Nobody was happy. I've had people say to me, I don't like church because nobody there is happy. Why would people say that about people redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? How could anybody say about us, we're not happy people? We have a joyous religion. We have a joyful faith that God has given us. Now, what's the source? Let me give you the definition first of all. Joy is an attitude or disposition. It is an attitude or dis disposition with a deep abiding confidence that my Father is in control. Joy is an attitude or disposition with a deep abiding confidence that my Father is in control. Now, what is joy? Joy is not some things. First of all, joy is not tied to circumstances. Joy doesn't have anything to do with your circumstances. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. That's not where joy is found. Secondly, it's not a fleeting moment of happiness. It's not a fleeting moment of happiness. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness depends on your circumstances. Joy depends on your choice. Thirdly, it is not limited to emotions. Joy is about your choosing to be joyful, not about waiting until you're emotionally joyful and happy. Number four, it is not about success. Psalms chapter 4, the psalmist says, Many are saying, Who will show us any good? Lift up the light of thy countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. Now what is joy? First of all, it's control. It is control. Joy is the control of the Spirit. The Spirit-filled, the Spirit-controlled life is controlled. Secondly, it's counted. It's counted. We reckon it to be so. We decide. We make the choice. We count on joy being a part of our lives because God's put it in us. Number three, it's commanded. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, not always. Come on. Not always. Rejoice in the Lord. No, that's called, it's always. It is always. <laughs> always forever. And Paul, knowing that he was speaking to hard-headed people, said, Again, I say, rejoice. One verse, two times, and we still don't get it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Well, you don't know. Paul doesn't know what I've been through. <laughs> you hadn't had your head cut off by a Roman guard. <laughs> and he was on his way to being a martyr. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. It is a command. And by the way, if you're not rejoicing always, you're disobeying God's Word. So anytime there's not joy in control of your life, you're sinning. You're walking in disobedience to God's command. Number four, it is confidence. How can I rejoice? Because I'm confident in what God is going to do in my life. It's that deep abiding, abiding confidence. It's that disposition that although things may be out of my control, I'm confident that I'm not out of God's love. And finally, it's countenance. Let the light of His face shine upon us. It is countenance. So it's not about circumstances. It's about confidence in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 11, I have told you this, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Look at the quote by Layman Strauss. Someone has said that the word rejoice is the standing order of the Christian. Whatever else the early Christians were told to do, the exhortation to rejoice headed the list. Can I tell you something else that joy is not? Joy is not human nature. It's God's nature. You see, joy is God taking control of my disposition with His disposition. Of my temperament with His control. Now, this is hard for me. If you ask my wife, she would tell you. Joy may be the hardest one for me to preach on. Because be quite honest with you, you know, and I've, I'm not speaking ill of the dead, but my mother was one of the most negative, unjoyful people that I've ever met in my life. I mean, there was just no joy. I mean, everything was, there was always something wrong. And that was planted in me, and that is my natural tendency to respond just like she did. And I have to constantly make choices to change the way I think from the way I was raised to the way that I've been saved. And some of us, for joy to take control, we've got to change the way we were raised and start acting like we've been saved. You see, joy changes us. It's not how you were raised. It's what's been raised up inside of you by the Holy Spirit of God. We have to choose to rejoice. I have to choose to say, Now, Lord, I know how I look at this, but you're going to have to look at this through me, and I choose to follow your command and obey your word and let you be in control. So, what is the bottom line? Well, let me just ask you a question. Are you enjoying your salvation or enduring it? Are you enjoying your walk with God, or are you just enduring it? I'm just going to hold on until I get to heaven. Then I'll be happy. Not happy in this life, you won't be happy in the next one. Are you enjoying your relationship with God? Are you enjoying what God has done in you? Are you enjoying what God's saying to you out of His Word? Are you enjoying the fellowship with God's people? If not, why not? You've been commanded to do that. It's not dependent on the preacher and the circumstances and the music and the situations and what your husband does or your wife does or your kids do. Joy is an attitude of the heart. Now, for the last year or so, I've been on blood pressure medicine. And contrary to popular belief, it's not because I'm pastoring a church. <laughs> it may be, but that's not what the doctors told me. But I've been on blood pressure medicine. My low number on my blood pressure is too high. It's way too high. And so I have to take 
uh, two kinds of medicines to bring it down. Now, why is my blood pressure high? Because something on the inside is wrong physically. Why do we lack joy? It's because something on the inside is wrong spiritually. And so, I want to be a doctor and diagnose your problem today, and then I want to give you five prescriptions, and these won't cost you one dime. It's just a choice you're going to have to make whether you fill them and take them like the doctor tells you to or not. First diagnosis. The reason you don't have joy can be unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. David lost the joy of his salvation when he sinned against God. Number two, uncommitted service. Uncommitted service. Just serving God. You know, some people are serving God more than enjoying it less. Just serving God because you feel like you got to. Serving God because you feel like that's going to get you some brownie points with God somewhere down the road. Serving God because somebody talked you into it. But the service is not committed. If there's no joy in what you do, why do it? Number three, unconfessed selfishness. Unconfessed selfishness can steal your joy. That's the attitude, well, what's in this for me? Uh, what am I going to get out of this? What are you going to do for me? Number four, unrepentant sulking. Unrepentant sulking. And that can take a lot of forms. Resentment and pouting and, well, you don't know what they did to me. Can, can I just tell you something right here under unrepentant sulking? Jesus never sulked and you killed him. You see, it was you and it was me. Jesus just didn't die for the sins of the world. He died for your sins. It was your sin. It was that loss of temper this week. It was that angry moment. It was that bitterness. It was that unforgiveness. It was that flying off the handle with your kids. It was that curse word that you let out at work. It was those attitudes and those actions. It was breaking the law and thinking you could get away with it. It was stealing those paper clips from the place that you work. It was stealing the pens from the place that you work. It was those things that you've done that put Jesus on the cross. You see, you're the one that plucked his beard out. You're the one that drove the crown into his head. You're the one that smacked him in the face. You're the one that beat him with the whips. You're the one that drove the nails in the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now let me ask you something. If God can forgive you when you deserve to go to hell, what are you sulking about that you can't get over? What is it that you just can't let go of? What is it that you just can't release and say, Lord, it doesn't matter what anybody's done to me. I know what I did to your son, and you love me unconditionally. Unrepentant sulking, finally. Unnecessary suspicions, fear, anxiety. The scripture says, an anxious heart weighs a man down. Now, this, this next quote I'm going to give you is not in your notes, but it's worth writing down. It, it's, it's one of those classic non-spiritual quotes. Carol Day said, the more you complain, the longer God lets you live. <laughs> Terry's grandmother was an interesting woman. She did a lot of complaining. She had a lot of problems, but she did a lot of complaining. 
I mean, Terry's grandfather, they'd probably been divorced for 45 years. She still was mad at him. She's mad because Elvis died. She called up my preacher one time and was mad about something with him. And You know, we were leaving the house one day and... and <laughs> And, and Opal had a tendency to, to, to smoke and drink a lot, and she lived to be about 170. <laughs> we were leaving the house one day, and our kids were real little, and our kids said, you know, Mama said if, if Mama Opal doesn't quit drinking and smoking, she's going to die. She's like 82 then. <laughs> the more you complain, the longer God lets you live. Well, i tell you what, folks. Listen to me. There's nothing worse than people getting crotchety and gripey and negative when they get older. I have told the Lord, and every secretary at Dirt Spot Works in our church will tell you, I've told the Lord, if I ever get that way, I just want God to kill me on the spot before I hang around and make people miserable. I'd rather God kill me and take me home than for me to be a pain to people. Because what in the world good am I doing for the kingdom of God if all I want to do is talk about what's wrong with my life? Man, I know people in this church that have got cancer, that have got a more positive attitude than some people that are healthy. I know people in this church that have gone through broken homes that have a more positive attitude than people whose kids are behaving well. Can I make just a, a free suggestion to you? Whatever you do in the church, don't do it for the preacher. Don't do it for the staff member. Don't do it for the recognition. Whatever you do in the church, do it for God. That way, when somebody disappoints you, you won't get flustered. Because the only person that's never going to disappoint you is the Lord Jesus. He's the only one. So consecrate yourself to do what you do, to serve where you serve, to give what you give. Whatever you do, do it for God. Then you won't get frustrated. For uh, unconfessed selfishness, there's community. Not what are you going to do for me, but what can I do for others? How can I serve you? What can I give instead of what do I receive? For the unrepentant uh, sulking, there's a contradiction. Human nature is to sulk. God's nature is to rejoice. It's different from the way the world thinks. It's a contradiction to worldly thinking. And then finally, for unnecessary suspicions, there's confidence. Confidence in God's power rather than your problems. Now, one last verse. Psalm 126, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. I'm going to give you a little homework before we come back and talk about peace tonight. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. I want to ask you to go home this afternoon and just make a list of all the things that God has done for you. And then ask yourself, why do I not have more joy? in light of all God's done for me. I was in Tom Pollock's van this week. We had a gentleman in the van with us. We were riding around looking at our church property. We came within a minute to 90 seconds.
from being broadsided by a car that lost control. I walked away from that and I rejoiced. I wonder, do you, when you take a trip somewhere, do you pray at the start and praise at the stop or do you just get out and pull it, pull it in the driveway and say, well, you know, honey, I'm just a good driver. That's how we never have a wreck. I just know how to handle a car on the road. Have you rejoiced already today that you didn't get up this morning and have to go to the emergency room? You know, you could have. Have you rejoiced that you've gotten a paycheck this month? You know, you might not. 7% of Albany is unemployed. Have you rejoiced that God has met your needs that God has given you the ability to think, that God has given you the ability to earn a living, that God has blessed you the way He's blessed you. Well, you don't know my problems. I guarantee you, you start adding up all the blessings of God and they will far outnumber the problems. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. You want to change a world? List the great things God's done for you. Let God fill you with his joy and then go out and tell somebody how they can find joy. And they'll never find it with their credit card. They'll never find it in a house. They'll never find it with a boat or a new truck or a new car. They'll only find it in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case you didn't get it, Again, I say, rejoice. There's an old gospel song that says, If you're happy and you know it, notify your face. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Gatt. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.